Well, good morning. It's great to have you here today. My name is Pastor Brad, senior pastor here at First Baptist. And um, yeah, we, we know we have a good, good father. And I pray that if you came today not really feeling that, uh, in fact, the message title today is Renewing Your Hope Through Tough Times. And so something is in you saying, do I really have a good father? Does he really know what's best for me? I hope you'll leave here saying yes. Yes, I know that. Yes, I know that for sure. Um, tell you why I know that. Because in God's word, his love story is written to us. And it's written to us in the good times. It's written to us in the tough times. And here in the book of 1 Peter, by the way, if you don't have your Bible um, uh, open yet, you can open up to 1 Peter. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, you can pull that one out of the pew or underneath the chairs here downstairs. It's on page 10, uh, 1016, is 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to read all of chapter 4, and I want you just to think about what these words meant to a generation of people, first century Christians, who were going through some persecution. They were going through some difficult times. Nero was the emperor. He ruled from about 54 to 68 AD. And he was the emperor who burned some Christians at the stake. He was the emperor who fed them to the lions, who persecuted the Christians. And now these first century Christians are living in a sense of fear and confusion and a sense of hopelessness. And yet Peter comes in and says, no, in the midst of all this, you can still have great, great hope. And so let me read 1 Peter chapter 4. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves, with, uh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will give, have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do uh, do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And then it seems as though he kind of turns a little bit and offers another subject here as he says, Dear friends, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that have come on you to test you. As though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what First Baptists do. Do good. Do good. All right, so let me kind of unpack this for us because this may be a passage and there's a few verses in there where you might scratch your head just a little bit and say, okay, I'm not sure I understand what the context or what Peter is trying to say here. If you have your outline, whip it out. We're talking about... Renewing your hope through tough times. The first point that I think Peter is making in this whole context of chapter 4 is stay focused on Christ. In the tough times, stay focused on Jesus Christ. In fact, look at the line there, and you can circle this on your outline, or circle it in your Bible, whichever it may be, where it says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Look, here, here's the truth I know. You cannot control many of the things that happen around you. But you can control your attitude. Amen? Amen. You can't control a lot of the other things that might take place. But you can control your attitude. And Peter is saying, have the same attitude as Christ. Paul emphasizes that over and over again, specifically in Philippians chapter 2. The attitude of Christ that we will take. You say, okay, well, what's so important about the attitude of Christ? What did Jesus do? He suffered unjustly, suffering that he did not deserve whatsoever. But what came of it? A clear understanding of God's will. In fact, that's where Peter goes with this. At the end of verse 2, he says, the will of God. Is, is, it, it's more clearly discerned. It's more clearly available to us. See, let me, let me explain it this way. What happens when people go through suffering is they become much more in tune with the essentials of life. Pain can draw you near to God. And if you have to go through pain, you might as well grow through pain. Because we all are going to have to go through it. But you can choose. Your attitude chooses if you want to grow through it. And when you are, when you are stripped of your human desires, it becomes much easier to discern what really matters in life. A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, were leading, helping lead a mission, uh, excuse me, a, a backpacking trip um, to Yosemite. We did it with a number of kids from some different churches around the denomination. Um, and we were walking towards Half Dome. 
And it was in the summertime, and we had no thoughts whatsoever that it would be raining, but it was a downpour, and it was thundering and lightning. And we were in an open area on the top of a mountain, walking from one point to the next point, and the lightning would strike, and then you would hear the thunder roll in about two or three seconds later, and it would get closer, and it would get closer, and it would get closer until it felt like, and it was literally right on top, the lightning and thunder at the same time, it was right on top of us. It was not in that moment that I was deciding, do I want a chalupa or a bean burrito the next time I meet from Taco Bell? Not whatsoever. In those kind of moments, you are stripped from everything else going on around you and you are just focused on what really matters. That's the same thing that I think that Paul's talking about here. He says, when you've experienced suffering, then you're done with sin. You're not focused on sin. You can focus on the things that God wants us to focus on. You can block out those other human desires and stay focused upon what you're really here for. In fact, verse 2 talks about as a result, as a result of that suffering, we become more focused on what really matters in life. In fact, there was an interesting um, story I read a number of years ago um, in Outside Magazine. That talks about what we can accomplish as human beings when we are focused on a goal. Uh, The the article talked about the hardest foot race in the world. um, It's called the Marathon of the Sands. It's a 142-mile race across the Sahara Desert in 120-degree heat. One day, just on one day, this is kind of the tune-up day, you go 15 miles running through the sand. Day four is a 47-mile trek of this just infernal torture that you experience. In fact, some of the members of the race end up losing some major portions of their skin off the bottom of their feet. Uh, They call a condition the skin tartar. It's a race that is so difficult, the the entrants have to sign um, to provide for harvesting of the cadaver before they enter into the, rela- uh, into the race. They, they had signed that kind of a release form. I, I mean, it's incredible. The, the rigors of this just could not be any harder, but the organizers just thought, well, maybe they can be, and here's what they do. They divide the participants up. They, they, they keep all the people who are running the race in one set of camp, but then they have the other staffing in another camp. And the one set is for all those who are running the race. It's a seven-day race. They kind of live in these Spartan-like conditions. They sleep nine to a tent. They live off the food that they carry on their backs uh, during the entire race. They kind of have these military-type rations, top ramen-type food that just doesn't taste very good, just kind of horrible. They're just making it through those seven days. Meanwhile, over here in camp number two are the organizers, the journalists, and the medics who are following all of them living completely differently. They're living in these, you know, these bigger, larger tents that have this Berber carpet on it. They're dining on roast duck and creme brulee and chocolate mousse. And the smells of the food are all kind of wafting over into the other camp. And at any time the organizers say, you can come over and dine and have all that we're having over here. It's just if you do, you're done with the race. You're through. 
And so you have to stay totally, totally focused. And there's one guy who, who was going through this race, and he says, you know what? Quitting is just not a part of my vocabulary. His name is Maurice. He, uh, he's a, kind of an unlikely entry into the race, 68 years of age, and Maurice has only one lung. But Maurice is determined. He's focused. Look what he says. He says, I'm not a runner. I've been missing a lung from boyhood tuberculosis. But I will, he says, I will make it to the finish line. He says, every cell in my body has just been conditioned for this race. And you know what? Seven days later, at the end of the finish line, Maurice crosses that finish line, something that a dozen of the men who are in the race, like a third of his age, do not do. Why? Because Maurice is focused. He is focused on the essentials of life. He's focused on what he knows he needs to do. When we talk about prayer, Pastor Scott talked about the 24-hour prayer vigil. Prayer is is something that our minds can just wander during prayer unless we are focused. And fasting will do that for you. I don't know if you ever fasted. It could be just one meal. It could be from other elements. It doesn't even have to totally be food. But fasting is something that totally focuses you on prayer. I, I, I fasted for about 24 hours this last week, a, a, a time period where I just kind of prayed for the future of our church and for you and the congregation and for Easter coming up and all the things that are going to take place there for my wife, my children, my family, and those different elements. It, you know, you become more focused when you take food out so that you are Maybe even the pain, the hunger pains, drives you deeper into, God, what are you doing? What are you wanting? It gives you greater clarity. That self-induced suffering focuses us upon Christ. We, our minds tend to wander when we pray. I know mine does. You ever been praying in bed, and, and you start to pray, and then you wake up in the morning and say amen? You're like, hey, that was a pretty good prayer I had going there. Seven and a half hours, right? Yeah, next time you're feeling that, why not jump out of bed? Pray on your knees. Find out how focused you become on your knees. And say, God, what, what, what are you doing on me? What, what are you doing in me? What do you want from me? How can I bless you? And I would encourage you, again, as a congregation, as Pastor Scott said, please go. Sign up for the 24-hour prayer vigil. Come here. You don't have to know a thing. We're going to give you prayer guides. Just come. You can pray by yourself. It'll be in the chapel area. You don't have to, you know, have these big words or you don't have to impress anybody else. It's simply touching the heart of God when you pray to Him. And He hears you on that level. And maybe you want to come after a fast even. More focused. Because look at what Peter says here in verse 7. He goes on to say this very clearly. He says, be alert and so, of sober mind so that you may what? That you may pray. That you may pray. When you go through the suffering that you're going through, know that that may draw you closer to God. And I challenge you to focus yourself on that kind of a prayer. A little suffering often focuses us that way. Points us to Christ. And so Peter challenges these first century Christians. He says, in the midst of these tough times, stay focused on Christ. And then he gives us a second teaching point. He says, stay involved in community. Stay involved with others who are focused on Christ as well. In fact, look at the verses out of 8 through 10. He says, above all, love each other deeply. 
because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Bless others, serve others, stay connected, love each other deeply. You know, we were with the Dormans last night, Marty and Michelle, and um, uh, up at the uh, Kaiser South Sacramento Hospital, Michelle's sister, Laura, um, some other friends of, of Dean's as well. Many of you know, I've shared over the last few weeks, uh, Dean was in a car accident three weeks ago, and has been in a coma for uh, these weeks, and it's just now this last week kind of waking up out of that. They transferred him up to um, South Sacramento, the Kaiser up there, and, and he has his bad days, he has his good days. A couple days ago was not a real good day for him, transferred up, and that might have kind of altered his body a little bit, his temperature was rising, other indications there. Yesterday was a much better day. In fact, one of the best stories we heard was this past week when the doctor came in and said, Dean, Dean, can you raise your left hand? And Dean did. He raised it. And he said, can you raise now your right hand? He couldn't raise his right hand. He didn't raise his right hand. Doctor said, can you raise your other hand, please? Can you raise it? And so Dean took his left hand, and he lifted up his right hand. And like I said, there are those good days he has, and there are those bad days. I wouldn't have thought of that, reaching over and lifting up the other hand. Good for him. Good for him. But there were seven of us then around the bed where we just prayed over Dean. That's what the community does. And thank you so much for how you have helped the Dormans as they've been down here at South Sacramento, bringing food, praying for them, stopping by visiting. No, it's a little tougher to get up to um, Kaiser up in Sacramento, but you can bless them in other ways. Um, but that community around them, they know that we as a church family are praying for them as well. And there's a sign that was right there by Dean's bed. It says, pray big. And that's what we're doing. We're praying big. Because as a community, we come together because we know the promises God gives to us. In fact, the promise out of Jeremiah 29, 11, we claim for him. I claim it for each and every one of you. Look what it says. It says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a what? A hope and a future. A hope and a future. Written so long ago. But we claim those words over each and every one of us. And you may be here today, and you may be going through some tough times as well. You may be going through some struggles in your life. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be relational. It may be something spiritual. Can I just offer this to you? That sometimes we kind of look inward, and we get down on ourselves. And, and it's that place where we need to look outward, and we begin, need to begin to serve and use the gifts that God has given to us. That's what he says when he writes this. Uh, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others faithfully, stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It often takes the focus off of you when you do that. In fact, there's a great saying that says, share the sorrow, half the sorrow, share the joy, twice the joy. If you're going through something, struggle, stay in community, stay connected, stay with your church. Your church family wants to come around you. It's not the time to run from God. It's not the time to run from your church family. It's the time to lean on your church family. 
was privileged this last week to go and visit Jeff Johnson's uh, mother. Uh, visited her a time or two up in the rest home that she's been a part of, and his mother now has been in hospice care. And so he said, Pastor, can you come again? And, 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 and he had been witnessing to his mom over a number of years. And so we prayed for his mom and read verses over her. And, and, and I asked Jeff afterwards, I said, Jeff, how, how, uh, how long have you been a believer? He said, well, I didn't receive the Lord until about 2007. I said, really? Here he is in his, I don't know, maybe 60s, late 60s or so. He said, 2007. I, I didn't know. And his wife, Sandra, was there, and, and he said, she gave me lots of materials. She gave me lots of books to read. In fact, he prayed, she prayed for him for over 40 years. And the Israelites wandered through the desert for 40 years. And here she's praying for her husband for 40 years. I said, how did it come about? He said, it was just time. He said he was in Bodega Bay, out on the beach. He just said, I've read enough. I've heard enough. I've read enough scripture. God, I know you are real. I need you in my life. And I asked his wife, I said, how did you manage through that, knowing when to speak up and not? She said, I just tried to listen to the Holy Spirit. There were times when I needed to speak up, and there were probably times when I needed to just back off and let the Holy Spirit do his work. And I hope you are in tune with that for someone this Easter time. And that invitation card that Pastor Scott mentioned here, again, this is not for you. This is for you to give, for you to pray. Maybe you have been praying for someone for 40 years, 40 days, 40 minutes. I don't know what it may be. But to step out and say, hey. And actually, if you, if you look on the back side of it, you see we're starting a brand new series on Easter Sunday. So it would be a great Sunday to have them begin. The following Sunday after Easter is when we're having best-selling and um, uh, 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 speaker Jim Burns come in and share with us about rising above the relationships in the past that we've had in our lives. Uh, he's the same speaker who's going to come at the end of May for the marriage conference that we're having here. I hope that um, you would encourage others to come. You would come yourself. And actually, two weeks after Easter Sunday... We're going to have a class, just a two-part class that Pastor Derek will teach at the 11:15 hour on exploring the Bible. Because we don't realize that many people come into our church and they don't know much of anything about the Bible. And so we just want to break it down and say, yep, this is what God's, Bible, God's Word says. Here's who wrote it. Here's the different versions and how you can understand it in a greater way. And just get some of those foundational questions answered. And all of us have people who need to know that. They need to know how much God loves them and cares for them. They need to know that there's a community here at 3535 North El Dorado that does not just stay here, but is in every place in this community around us in the city of Stockton and the surrounding areas that loves like God loves. And we need to challenge people to hear that message and to say, don't run from God, but run to God because God's arms are open wide for you. And if you're here today and this is your first day here, Welcome home. Welcome home. We want to continue to bless you. We want to continue to have you explore and seek and search God because he is a good, good father like we just spoke about and sang about. Welcome home. So Peter's going through and he's saying, okay, I know it may be difficult. I know it may be tough. And he says, you stay focused on Christ and all that you're doing. And he says, you stay in that community and bless one another, encourage one another. And then it seems as though he kind of takes a right turn. 
And he says, now specifically about your suffering, let me address that just a little bit. And here's what he's saying. It's on the back part of your outline. The first thing he says here is he says, stay realistic about the suffering. Stay realistic about what that means and what that entails. And then he describes three different kinds of suffering. He doesn't lay it out as I'm going to lay it out, but his thoughts kind of bring these thoughts about. And that's this. Let me talk to you about the three different kinds of suffering. It's in the box. Here's the first. The Christian suffering. You will suffer for being a Christian, he says. Verse 4. Says it like this. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living. They heap abuse on you. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ in verse 14, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, this might be a little hard for us to understand the context of it and to digest this, um, but... Um, it's getting easier and easier for us in America to see this because the news media has really picked up on this in probably the last seven or eight years. But Fox News reported, Christian Post reports this as well, there were over 90,000 Christians who were killed in 2016 for their faith. 90,000 across this world killed because they professed the name of Jesus. That's one every six minutes. And Pastor Scott just talked about that, where, where in other countries, people have to go down underground churches, secret churches, down alleys, secret passages, can't carry a Bible because they'll be killed because they're labeled as Christians. That's what Peter was dealing with here. Now, we don't face that a lot here in America, but in other parts of the world, absolutely it happens. The, the 2016 number um, was even down a little bit. 2015 was even higher than that of the number of Christians killed across this world. You realize in Sudan, Christian women are raped and Christian men are beaten, sometimes even crucified for their faith. In the local market in Sudan, you can buy salt, sugar, and Christian children. There have been more Christians martyred in this past century than in all the other 19th centuries combined. I mean, that's the reality for suffering for being a Christian in many other parts of this world. Over a million, a million Christians killed in the last decade. That's why it's so hard for us to realize that because we don't have that issue in America. I hope we never do, but right now we don't. Pretty, you know, middle class America, we come to church, we don't have to be secret about it, we can carry our Bibles, we can come in, we can walk out, we can talk about it, we can hear, you know, good music and worship to that, hear a good message, hopefully, and listen to that and hear that, not realizing that there are other Christians all across this world who have died coming to a church service just like this. Now, we are, we are way too comfortable in many ways. Because you know what comfort leads to? Comfort leads to apathy. And at the end of apathy is us. It's me. It's not God. But what suffering can do is it takes us out of our apathy. It takes us out of our comfort zone. And it places us more in a context of saying, okay, God, what are you doing in me? It wakes us up to that. And that's what Peter's kind of addressing here. Even though you suffer for being a Christian, and you are blessed 
And I know sometimes it's hard to hear the stats that I share, but if you want to go to Open Doors, you can Google that, or persecution.com, you can see some of those stats. And one of the biggest things we can do that that the persecuted church around the world asks for is just pray for us. Pray for us, pray for us. That's the community that needs to come around, and we can do that. So there's there's suffering for being a Christian. Second type of suffering, though, that Peter addresses in here is the suffering for carnal things that we do. It's a carnal type of suffering. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. All right, what do you mean by this? These are the sufferings that we receive simply because we make some wrong choices. The decisions that we made were pretty stupid, and they had consequences on the other end of it. And it's really easy to see, yep, I made that stupid decision, and yep, this is the suffering, the bad times that I'm going through right now. And so Peter talks about suffering for being a murderer or a thief or a criminal or even a meddler. You know, you know what the Greek word for that meddler is? The Greek word there is a spy or an informer or a gossip. You ever suffered a little bit for your tongue? You got it out of order a little bit? You talked a little bit too much? Yeah, we can bring suffering upon ourselves for doing that. Peter says, These are, those are the sins that you kind of invite that's the suffering you invite on yourself. They aren't hard to, re- to rationalize. Bad choices lead to pain. So let me say this. And let me be very poignant about this. If you are doing a carnal sin right now, and maybe nobody has been discovering it yet, one day it will be. And the question I want to ask you right now is, will it be worth it? Because that pain will be real. And that suffering you're going to be going through will be incredibly real. Will it be worth it? Ask yourself, am I doing something that if it became known, it would cause major pain for me or for my loved ones? Maybe it's just a little bit of flirtation you got going there at work, and you know there's a chemistry going on, and it's going a little bit too far. Or maybe maybe you've been stealing at work, or you've been embezzling a little something. It hasn't come about yet, but you know if that became known, you could be fired for what you're doing. Is it really worth it? In fact, men, ask yourself this. Are you the most righteous man you know? And if not, why not? Women, ask yourself the same question. Are you the most righteous woman you know? If not, why not? I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Step above the suffering that you can incur from the sins that we step into. We don't need to go down that path. Don't need to go down that road. There's enough suffering to be, to be experienced. And Peter here says, okay, there's going to be some suffering for your Christian faith. Yes, there'll be some suffering from the sins that you commit. Yes, we are all sinners. Yes, we're going to step into some of that. But then he gives us a third type of suffering that we often experience, and that's the third point there on that box, and that is common suffering. The common suffering of life. In fact, he says in verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised 
at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is the kind of suffering that we have because we are in the human condition. It's because we live in a broken world. And that pain is very real. And it hurts. And sometimes we can kind of misplace that kind of suffering. And we can point it at God and say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? But really, it's the consequence of sin that happened way back in the Garden of Eden that brings that about. Because God gave us free will. He gave us free choice. And as, even as Adam and Eve chose that sin, and we have done all the same, our world became broken. And so that kind of common suffering... It's a suffering we experience because we live in a broken world. And you know what? There's no false advertising here. Jesus acknowledges in John 16, 33, you will have trouble in this world. No false advertising here. Although you don't pick up John 6, 33. If you don't believe me on this, John 16, 33, you will have trouble in this world. You don't often see that one on the Hallmark card. Or Grandma didn't embroider that into the pillow, right? And give it to you for a little gift. But it's there. You're going to have some problems and, and struggles and trials. However, Jesus said, but I have overcome the world. So even though you may walk through that, know that I am walking with you and know that I have overcome the world and so will you. You know what it means? It means we have a broken world, but we do not have a broken God. Amen? Amen. We have a good, good father. A good father who is a perfect father who knows all and he's working that perfect plan in us. And even though we diverge from that, even though we get involved with things that we shouldn't be in, God still works out in the middle of that. And it may be harder when we choose to take steps not according to his way and to his plans. But God still is that good, good father, that perfect father who loves. And God will one day make it right. That's the good news. One day it will all be worked together. We can find comfort in that. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says in verse 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I ever forsake you. So I will walk through this with you, says our good, good Father. In fact, I've shared this before, but I think it's appropriate to share it again. Life, your choices in life are never life with trouble or life without trouble. Okay, that's not what the choice is in life, because I am sure if every one of us got to choose life with trouble or with life without trouble, I'd choose B, right? That's the way we want it. But that's not it. Even though some of you might come and you might hear on the TV evangelism, hey, you do this right, you turn your life over to God, you start giving me money, and I will make you life without trouble. I'm not going to preach that, because that's not the gospel. It's not life with trouble or without trouble. Here's the choice that you get to make. The choice you get to make is life with trouble with God or life with trouble without God. That's the choice you get to make. We're going to have trouble. Are you going to experience it with God? Are you going to experience it without God? And if I just stop the message right now and let you share amongst yourself, those of you who have walked through the troubles, you know you know what it's like to go through it without God, but many of you know what it's like to go through it with God. And that's what I hope you pick up. That God is right there walking with you. And he's willing to. And that's what Peter's encouraging these Christians. He's saying, take those steps. 
Even though you're going through this suffering, take those steps with God. Because he's there for you. Corey Ten Boone, um, many of you recognize that name, was a Holocaust survivor back in the 1940s in Germany. She and her family up in Holland hid number of uh, Jews as the Nazis were coming to take them and put them in concentration camps. She and her family were discovered as being people who hid the Jews. And um, they were then taken to the concentration camps. And all of Corey's family killed in those concentration camps. She was the only one who got out alive at the end of the time, the war being over, and she came out. And she wrote the book, The Hiding Place. Many people have popularized her story, talked about it, it's been a movie. She was interviewed one time, and it was interesting what she said. The interviewer said this, the interviewer said, Corey, tell me, what was the greatest miracle you experienced in the concentration camp? She immediately said, the greatest miracle was the presence of Christ. The interviewer kind of was taken back by that just a little bit and said, um, but weren't there many other healings and deliverances in, in prison? She said, oh, yeah, we experienced that. But the greatest miracle was the presence of Christ. And that is my prayer for us, First Baptist. That no matter what we walk through, that we may know Christ's presence is so rich in us. That we may know the fellowship of what that means. That you would never experience something and run from God, but you would run to God. That you would never experience a hard time, a hard season in life, and run away from church, but you, you would run to the church. And yes, the church is not perfect. Yes, we will let you down, but our God never, ever, ever, ever will. Amen? promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And we as a church are doing as best we can to do this together, imperfect people, serving a perfect God. And I pray you're part of that plan. I pray you are taking those steps. And I pray that you are experiencing the presence of Christ as well. God, may your presence be strong in this place even now. May it be so rich that we experience the love of our good, good Father. God, yes, we have activities on our minds. We have lunch that's waiting. But Lord, during a song that we're going to sing now, I pray that your presence would be so full in this place and that we would know you are so close as we celebrate the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that when Jesus lived here on this earth, he taught us, he showed his disciples, and in turn who have shown their disciples and disciples and disciples and disciples and to us here in 2017 how to live how to experience your love. God, I thank you for the words that even Peter wrote to say our God is a good, good Father. But he's more than that. He's the hope of this world. 
Lord, may we never place our hope in anything else. Never. God, if we're honest with you, we would say, yep, there's been times every week when we place our hope in something else. But God, I thank you for us getting to come back to your church, to your family, to other believers. Maybe it's a midweek study. Whatever it may be, that we can just remind one another. No, we have a good, good Father who loves us, who cares for us. Even when we're going through the suffering, a suffering for taking on the name of Christ, a suffering for the sin world that we're in, or a suffering because we live in a broken world of just common things that happen in life. God, I thank you that we can encourage and remind each other of that incredible hope. And folks, if you're here today, and you are someone who has not said yes to this Jesus yet, why not? You know you're going to have problems in life anyway. Why not walk through it with a God who is over the top of all those issues, who uses those problems to work out your life for the good? That's what God's doing. He's working with the brokenness of this life that we have. His redemption story has been in play ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden. It will be culminated in the years to come. We don't know when. But God, your redemption story has already been sealed and written. We're on that plan, and it culminates in Jesus coming back again. God, I thank you that he came the first time for us. And if you're here today and you have never experienced Christ in your life, the presence of Christ, it would begin with these simple words, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life today. Today is the day that I say yes to you. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I today choose to follow you, to repent from my sinful lifestyle, from the suffering that I bring upon myself. And God, I walk with you, with you. Lord, thank you for your presence in our lives. And if you prayed that prayer today, would you talk to the person who brought you here today or you come and talk to me or Pastor Stephen or any of our pastors who are around here? We just want to help you take that step because that step the step in the presence of Jesus of saying, I'm going to be with him for eternity, but that eternity starts now. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you mean to us. You are primary. You are number one. We worship you now in the name of Jesus, for it is in his name that we pray.